Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Look, in front of the microphone, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's... Oh, it's Jake. It's Super Producer Jake Hughes, and welcome to the morning briefing for Friday, woohoo, February 23rd, 2018. As I said, Jake Hughes here in the driver's seat because host Eric Dane is doing some fantastic work this week, but for some reason he's decided to come in here and bother me during yeah. my last day of hosting hey, the show. Well, I'm kind of done with what I had to do this week. It basically ended on thursday like i don't i don't have anything of that to do today i've got other stuff to do i'm gonna be writing some articles for connectingvets.com so i thought i'd come in and share the first half hour with you and, and see what it's like to sit in this chair for well once. then the question remains why am i hosting it's your job yeah. I, i'm the filling guy i didn't want to take have you do like four days and then go no no you can get out of here i'm back now <laughs> plus i also didn't know that i'd be done by thursday so all right. Just kind of worked out that All way. All right. Well, we got a great show for you today. At uh, Coming up, we're going to have Sean Flynn. Now, Sean is the head of an organization called Veteran Campaign. And what does that mean? Well, it helps veterans get into politics, helps them find where to start hmm. and how to go about it. And then later on the show, we are very honored to have the National Commander of the American Legion, Denise Rohan, is going to be on the show talking about all the great things they got going on and their upcoming legislative blitz next week. It's going to be very, very cool. So yeah. you've chosen a great day to tune in, even though you should be tuning in every day. Yeah. And you should also be following us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us. You'll know exactly when we post the story. You'll get all the latest goings on of the veteran community because we are the veteran community. As Eric is so often want to point out, if you put us <laughs> together, we are an E12 with 26 years. 26 years. That's just and that's just the two of us. There's other people here too that have military experience. Everybody on our team is either a veteran themselves or, uh, in the case of one person, married to a veteran. So a, a veteran spouse, if you will. Yes, we have a little bit of everything, and we're here to help the veteran community because, as I said, we are it. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world these days. Is there? Yes, and uh, the biggest news story that I think is of interest to everyone is the, the tragedy that happened last week at a Parkland High School. Yeah, Florida High School. And lots of people have been talking about what can be done to prevent such tragedies or what do we need to change. And one idea that's been going around, I keep seeing this meme on Facebook about it, and this has actually come from the president himself as well, is to arm teachers and hire armed veterans to post guard in schools. Now, I wrote an op-ed where I said this may not be the best idea, but I'm curious, Eric, what yeah. do you think of the whole idea? Uh, you know, if you have the right people doing it, great. If you don't, not great. I mean, that's what it comes down to. The The issue with defending schools against things like this, it's, it's a difficult one to talk about because you get people who 
on both sides don't want their rights infringed upon. You have the gun owners who don't want someone to try and take away their guns. And for all the people that say there's no one trying to take, yes, there are. There are people who want guns absolutely uh, out of the equation in this country. That's never going to happen. But there are people who want that. Then on the other side, when you talk about, well, guns exist, crazy people exist, which I would argue is the common denominator between every mass shooting. It's not, you know... Joe Smith, the normal guy, the the uh, accountant with a happy home life who goes to work every day and just one day picks up a, uh, a gun and goes and, and kills 50 people. It doesn't really happen. It's, it's always someone who has uh, significant mental health issues, uh, typically on antipsychotic medication, which have some interesting side effects, particularly when you get off of them. But you know, on the other side, you have the people who don't want gu- it's, it, They believe it's a, a child's right or their right, wherever they are, to not have guns around because it can make them feel unsafe. Now, that's something that I've never understood, Jake. If I see a police officer with a gun, someone who's properly trained with a gun, a soldier like in a New York's Penn Station or Grand Central Station, the train stations I used to go into uh, to work in Manhattan – there were National Guardsmen all around with with rifles and with weapons and made me feel a little bit safer. You know, if someone comes in, there's I, I'm not walking around in New York City carrying a weapon because that's almost impossible Possible. to get qualified to do. Um, it takes forever. It takes thousands upon thousands of dollars to get a carry license in New York. But the fact that at these targets, which is what Penn Station and Grand Central are, big targets, you know, transit hubs in the biggest city in the country, it made me feel good that there were soldiers there and policemen there and the New York uh, Police Department's ESU, the Emergency Services Unit, there's Special Operations Police there. made me feel good to see them. There are also people who it makes them feel unsafe because if they don't see the people with the gun, they don't think about the threat that's out there. And that's something that I think veterans understand more than the average civilian. That threat is out there. You have to think about that threat, whether it's terrorists or these uh, lunatics like this this kid down in Florida or the guy out in Las Vegas or the uh, the kid at, at Newtown at Sandy Hook. It, it, the threat is out there and something needs to be done to address it. Now, again, you have the problem where, well, you're not taking away my guns. And then you have the parents. Well, I don't want guns in my child's school. But if those guns are there for the right reason on that side, I think it can be a positive as far as hiring uh, veterans to do that and the people saying, well, you can't know if they're uh, if they're the right person for the job. You can't know what if they're crazy. Well, aren't you typically the same people that are calling for all these mental health checks and background checks on gun control issues? Why not do that for the veterans that you're hiring there? Why not put them through an extreme vetting process to figure out if they have any mental health issues? My no? issue, yeah, my issue with that is that it had to be extremely extensive because you got to remember the Texas church shooter yeah. passed a background check. Yeah. To buy a to buy a weapon. No, it would so yep. it would have to be much more intense than that. I think he shouldn't have though, and that is well, the yeah. Air Force's fault. If do a bureaucratic mistake, a paperwork mistake, murderers have gotten out of prison because of paperwork mistakes. Things like that happen, and that's that the blood of those people in Texas. That's on the Air Force's hands. That is on the Air Force and the uh, Air Force Criminal Investigative Service and the people who were supposed to get that information to the civilian authorities. The proper. The proper framework was in place for him to not be able to get a gun, but people didn't follow the rules, didn't do what they were supposed to, and something like this happened. So uh, if mistakes are made, yeah, things are going to happen. People always fall through the cracks, no matter what it is when when bureaucratic mistakes are made, I think. 
But yeah, with uh, with with a background check for hiring someone, you can find out a lot of stuff. You can require them to disclose uh, any medical records, things like that, and certain uh, professions that are out there, like in the military, you know, where if if, if I'm hiring you to work at Seven uh, Eleven, just because I'm looking out the window and I see Seven Eleven across the street. <laughs> I can't ask you about any mental health or, or medical issues that you've had. And that's that's I'm not allowed to. But think about the military. Think about recruiters. They're allowed to ask about those things because they're requirements for the job. You need to be healthy. You have to sign away those things. And, and people can lie on those forms and things like that. But I, the gun control issue is a fascinating one. It's one of the things I'm going to be writing about today. And the aspect I'm writing about today, Jake, is basically trying to get people on, on both sides of the argument one side more than the other up to speed on the truth about guns and the right terminology and that AR-15 does not stand for assault rifle 15 because one, the <laughs> AR isn't an assault rifle. It's uh, it's just a rifle. What even is an assault rifle? Well, an assault rifle is an actual term. That's what we used in the military. That is a rifle with selective fire capabilities, which means semi-automatic, but it can also be switched to three round burst or fully automatic. That's an assault rifle, an assault weapon, that's a nonsense term made up. So that's the kind of thing that I'm going to go over in this okay. article today. I've, I've actually done it uh, before in some college papers and things, trying to let uh, some of my fellow students who had never seen a gun, some of them, again, up in New York where things are uh, very regulated, yet you still have quite a bit of gun crime. So there's that to take into account also. Uh, things like showing them that the AR-15, uh, I saw an interesting comment by Ben Stein. You know Ben Stein? Yeah, from the, the actor. from the, uh, He's an Ferris actor, Bueller. former presidential speech writer. I, I think it was under, was it Reagan or Nixon? I'm not sure, but he was a presidential speech writer. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the teacher. Bueller. Uh, yeah, win Ben Stein's money. Uh, also is, uh, has become kind of a conservative commentator over the years. He was talking about the AR-15 and, and why it's the quote, weapon of choice and things like this, he brought up a pretty good point, I think. You tell me what you think about this. The AR-15 allows nerds to think they're Rambo because of how it looks, because it looks like the thing that you hold in the military, because it looks like the thing that you see in the movies, despite the fact that it's not the same weapon. In many cases, it's a smaller caliber than it is uh, that we use in the military with our NATO 5.56 rounds. They're AR-15s that shoot 22s, but it kind of has this appearance that, you know, it's black. It's very military looking, but it's no more dangerous than a Woodstock rifle of the exact same caliber. I can find Woodstock rifles that are more dangerous than an AR-15 that if I showed them and I proved this when I was at college, if I show them to my fellow students there, those students were like, well, yeah, the black one is more dangerous. No, it's not. I mean, we're talking like a rifle that was firing 308 rounds versus a, an AR-15 firing 22 rounds. Which one would you rather get hit by? Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it, there's, there's the conversation is, is a fascinating one. You have people again on all sides and then you have the mental health advocates who, when you're talking about institutionalizing people like Nicholas Cruz, who there were clearly severe issues with his younger brother has been uh, institutionalized like two days after the shooting. His brother was involuntarily committed by the family that had taken the two of them in. You get the mental health advocates saying, Oh, you, you can't do that. They haven't done anything yet. You know what? Sometimes when you can kind of tell there's a problem coming, that's what they used to do back in the old day, throw them into an asylum. Sometimes they'd never get out for the rest of their life. Sometimes some horrible experiments were happening, electroshock therapy, uh, lobotomies, things like that. 
at the same time, it seems like we didn't have quite as many incidents of public massacre like we have going on now. They still existed, but not as often as we do now. So Yeah, you're right. And that's the thing I like to point out also is that we've always had guns, but smash shootings haven't really been a thing until like the late 90s, early 2000s, probably yeah. around Columbine. Yeah, Columbine. I was at a, a, the Defense Information School in Fort Meade, Maryland when Columbine happened. I was in the basic voice analysis class, and I remember seeing it happen on TV and being like, whoa, this is messed up because there had been shootings. There'd even been shootings at schools before that, but never to that level, really. Um, Those kids, those little monsters, uh, they were the first ones to take it to this higher level. Ooh, there's somebody out there screaming. You you know what you can tell when someone's screaming into their cell phone? We're seeing one of those outside Ah. of the window right now. Hopefully she's not angry about us. But um the, the the other thing that I and when I again I did college papers on this because I, I found that there were people who just didn't know a lot about the history of these things. The most deadly school attack in US history, Jake. Do you know what it was? I think I've heard this fact before. It was sometime in like the, the ninth in like the nineteen teens or twenties or something. Yeah. It was about a hundred years ago in Bath Township, I think Michigan is where it took place. Not a gun was used. Guns existed. Automatic weapons existed. They were being used in World War One and stuff like that. This school was blown up, essentially, and set on fire by a custodian who, you know, he's a disgruntled worker. He'd been fired. He wasn't happy about that. He had other, obviously, crazy person issues. Barred the doors, had explosives underneath it, blew up the school, killed over 100 children. Crazy's going to find a way. That's how I look at it. And the, the the issue that needs to be addressed in my mind isn't the guns, it's the crazy. It's finding out how do you identify these people ahead of time because as we've seen with like Nicholas Cruz, there were plenty of red flags out there. Unfortunately, no red flags that would get you in this day and age to the point where you are taken into custody in in one way or the other. You know, he was expelled from school. Police were called to his house 25 times. And, you know, when when my wife mentioned that to me and we were talking about it, the police being called to the house said that doesn't mean anything. I've had the police called to my house because I had music playing too loud or I had a party going on and there were too many people there. You can have people called to your the police called to your house and it not be anything criminal at all so you know there are red flags but again they didn't seem to go to the level that they needed to for him to be either incarcerated or institutionalized or anything like that um had he been this would have been avoided you know if you take the gun out of the equation would this have been avoided maybe What's to say this kid who was also on YouTube channels talking about building bombs wouldn't have done that and blown up a, a 50 people at the school instead of shooting 17 people? You know, you, you can't say that the gun is what made it happen. You can say the crazy is what made it happen. This was a psychopath and psychopaths do psychopathic things. You're right. And it's a very complicated issue. And I go into it a little more in detail in my op-ed. And as I said, as he said, Eric's going to be writing a story on the gun issue. So make sure you... St- Stay tuned to ConnectingVets.com. Mine's going to be more, yeah, and more based on just the facts around guns and not like, I'm, I'm not going to take a position. I know where my position stands. And it's, again, as I just said, crazy people are going to do crazy things. Address that because whether they have guns or not, like in China, 30 people were just killed in a knife attack like last week, the day after or two days after the shooting in Florida uh, by uh, Muslim separatists in Western China. 
30 people killed with knives. Was it, you know, is the knife at fault? No, it's the people who are crazy and are willing to take other people's lives, which is is not a normal thing. So that I, I, that's my opinion on it. But the article I want to write is something to just kind of help the dialogue and help people on either side know what the hell they're talking about. Because so many people, I see so many people posting about this kid had a machine gun. Right. Well, machine gun is kind of a weird term anyway, because it's not 1930 anymore and nobody's running around with a Tommy gun or a Browning automatic <laughs> rifle. But, um, you know, the, or automatic weapons. Well, he didn't have an automatic weapon. He didn't have a machine gun. Like if, if and as soon as you say that someone who's maybe on the fence about changing their opinion on guns, who's a, who's a pro gun person to saying, yeah, maybe we need to do some things as soon as they hear you using uh, what they can see as dishonest terms, whether you're mistaken or you're you're flat out lying about it, no automatic weapon was used. So if you say an automatic weapon was used, someone who does know what they're talking about goes, that person's not telling the truth, whether they know it or not. And uh, that's going to drive them away from possibly agreeing with your point. So that's what I want to do with this one is just kind of get everybody who needs to be up to speed on what guns are and what the difference between guns are. Also the numbers, because did you know... Jake, about 400 people a year are killed by rifles. Really? 400. In a country of 350 million people, 400. So you have a slightly over one in a million chance of being killed with a rifle. Handguns, you're talking more like 13,000. Why are rifles the issue? That's the other question that comes up. So that's yeah, another I mean, thing I'll address uh, it, there. It, it, I'm not saying it was better or worse than anything, but the Virginia Tech killer killed 30 people with handguns. Pistols. Yeah, and and handguns are more easily concealed. Handguns are not as accurate, but uh, you know, in in many cases, they're just easier to get in there. They're easier to carry more than one, and that's the other thing. Like when we t- when people talk about this, is another thing I'm going to clear up in this in this article: magazine size. The hell difference does that make? Anyone who's familiar with a rifle and any weapon that holds a magazine, particularly rifles, like yeah, uh, what was your uh, your your rifle that you were uh, issued? M4, M16, M4, M4. So the M4 uses standard magazine, basically, which would fit what like thirty rounds in it or whatever in the military uh, magazines. Do you know what we would do with our magazines, Jake? And I wonder if you guys did this. You take two of them, take a little bit of tape, you put them together mm-hmm. with the with the basically halfway down each one so that when you ran out of that magazine, instead of having to take the half second to reach down and pull one out of a pouch, you flip it over, pop that magazine, the other side back in there. And then when that's done, you drop both of them, grab another one, put it in there. When people talk about magazine sizes, you're talking about a difference with someone who has any idea of what they're doing of like one to two seconds per magazine. They'll just carry more magazines. I mean, that's all that's going to happen, but yeah, it's, there's there's a lot of uh, misconceptions out there, and really, what I want to do with this is, again, not put forth any sort of uh, uh, agenda. I just want people to to have the right information because I see so much stuff out there from people who mean well, and if it defeats your argument, whichever side you're on, because you're using incorrect terminology and you're using incorrect data, there's an easy way to fix that. So yeah, that's what I'll be doing later today. Oh, awesome. And there's a lot, and it's a complicated issue and one that we're going to kind of stay on top of because it's not veteran related directly, but it's something of interest to veterans. We are as a whole, I would say, along with police officers, the most familiar with firearms in the country as far as a group of people. Veterans, almost all veterans have carried a weapon at one point in their lives. 
And and that's it's part of the job. I mean, if you are, you might think uh, if you're out there and you're not a military person, well, why would uh, a Navy engineer, a machinist mate, need to carry a firearm? Well, that machinist mate is going to stand security watches on the ship. And when you're standing security watches where you have items of national security on the ship and all sorts of other stuff, personnel and and government property that needs to be protected, you carry a firearm when you are standing watch. So even those people who you might think, you know, don't do those things, like as the army is changing their their boot camp requirements because, hey, the, the yeoman, the admin people, what do they need to learn how to throw grenades for? Well, you know, they might <laughs> occasionally, <laughs> and they certainly need to know how to carry a weapon. So I think that's why it's an issue that uh, veterans are certainly more more interested in than the average population in the country. And also, there's a lot more of us that are gun owners than uh, most other groups, again, with the exception possibly of law enforcement officers, you know? Yeah, you're right. And a lot of things are of a lot of issue to veterans. And one thing veterans are taking a serious issue with is this happened out in California. Oh, I'm, boy. I'm reading this in New yeah. I'm already rolling my eyes. Come on, California. Get with it. I'm reading this in Newsweek. A California congressional candidate received backlash from members of the armed forces following a comment about a, quote, crusty old Marine. And that's kind of a thing, and, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I described, I, I just had an, uh, a profile written on me by the, the, the little magazine they put out at my alma mater. And I describe myself as a grizzled old veteran when comparing myself to my fellow students at Hofstra University because... Compared to them, I was. And and I was in my 30s. I'd done 30 years, deployed to Afghanistan, all that stuff. I was a grizzled old veteran. Who exactly is getting angry about this? And I'm going to guess the people angry about it are from the opposite political party of whatever the congressional candidate is from. Yeah, she was asked in an interview with, here's another issue, Cosmopolitan Magazine. I don't know why, why they're, they're talking about why this. Why you do an issue, interviews with Cosmopolitan I know, you're a right? politician. Yeah, but uh, J- Jacobs was quoted as saying, it's true, I'm not some crusty old Marine when asked about the, dis- the district's large military population, because this is the, the, the constituency that includes uh, Camp Pendleton. Right. So it was asked, and I think the the opponent is a Marine as well. And uh, so is this person a Democrat or Republican Democrat. that said that? Okay. So this is the Republicans, the conservatives, uh, getting upset. Like, oh, how dare she? You can't say that. She didn't. She didn't say anything bad. That is a term that that we use. Crusty old Marine, a crusty sailor, someone who's been there, done some stuff. They got the salt built up on them. They're crusty. Shut up. Leave her alone. Who cares? If you disagree with her, find some real things to disagree about, not what she called a Marine. That's yeah. just dumb. One of the tweets um, uh, that came in from it was from Ashley Hayek, a USMC uh, veteran, who said, what a thoughtful way to acknowledge someone's military service, you spoiled brat. Yeah, and you know what? That's that's using, and I, I don't like to see this stuff, but we see more and more of it. That's using uh, your veteran status or any other status for political reasons. Well, you don't like this politician. What if the uh, what if the Marine had said it that's running against her? What if the candidate that you liked had said it? Would you have been like, oh, I don't really like that? Hmm. Huh, wouldn't, okay. it wouldn't have been a word. No, they and wouldn't just, have said anything. They would have been like, yeah, crusty old Marine. It, saying, hey, listen, I'm not a crusty old Marine. Again, that's a term that we use. That's a term that I've heard Marines use, that I've heard sailors use. Sailors are salty. Marines are crusty. Same way the other way around, too, where Marines are salty and sailors are crusty. It's just, it's, yeah. this, is, this is people trying belong, to yeah. uh, score political points. I belong to a Facebook group called The Salty Soldier. Yeah. You know, it's, it's what we do. And I just found out this Ashley Hayek is the president and CEO of a firm that raises money for Republicans. 
Yeah, and that's fine. I mean, that's what he's going to do, and, and I understand what it is, but I, I think there are some people out there, non-veterans in particular, who would look at that and go like, oh, you know, maybe that is something that's really offensive to the vet. No, it's not. No, it's not. And it's not offensive to that guy either. He's just using it as an opportunity to score some points against someone. And, you know, I don't know who I would vote for in that uh, in that race. I'm a bit of a pragmatist and centrist who leans eh, perhaps a little bit more conservative uh, than liberal. But, uh, you know, if her calling someone a crusty old Marine isn't going to drive my vote one way or the other because I know it's not an insult. That's a term that if you grew up around, if she's in a, in the area of Pendleton, if she's out there in San Diego and she's here and, you know, uh, she's been around Marines her whole life, then that's where Hollywood boot camp is for the Marines, big Marine Corps base, Navy base. The, the military is a huge community out there. Veterans are a huge community. She's going to know that that is the way that people talk. And then, and then someone to try and misconstrue that as some sort of big insult to the, the candidate who's running, who is a Marine. Stop it. Yeah, this the thing. You, people talk about, oh, this is insulting to silver, silver members and Marines and soldiers and whatnot. Have you heard the language we use to describe ourselves? Well, we can't use it on this show. Jake. I know, right? It's ten times worse. And these people, these veterans who have used that language, I'm willing to bet in their life, are now saying, "Oh, this is so offensive." This it's a political game going back and forth. It's a football yeah. game. I would say even the more uh, liberal service members have used languages uh, and words that would make the social justice warriors heads explode. Yes. <laughs> it's just a fact of life in the military <laughs> and uh, it's something that uh, needs to be changed. Yeah, we need, we'll change that, right, Jake? Oh, absolutely, of yeah. course. We'll change a lot of things. We'll change topics here because coming up in <laughs> coming up in just a minute, Sean uh Flynn, I'm sorry, uh, my my mind is not working right now. Sean you were, were going to say Sean Spicer, weren't you? Former I, White House press. I was, I was totally yeah. going to say Sean Spicer because I'm just. But who's Sean Flynn? He's here. Sean Flynn is the head of Veteran Campaign. He's going to tell us exactly how soldiers and the how veterans can get involved in politics and where to start and how to get started. And later on, Denise Rohan, National Commander of the American Legion. We got a great show. Stick around. We shall return. Woo. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Judas Priest to get your Friday started because hey, it's Friday, February 23rd, 2018. You're listening to the morning briefing. I'm super producer Jake Hughes, sitting in for host Eric Dame, who is doing some fantastic stuff this week, but now he's just kind of walking around talking to people out there. I don't know what he's doing. But anyway, thanks for tuning in and uh, look, take us time once again to remind you follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us. You'll get all the latest goings on in the veteran community. Everything that's going on, everything that's happening. You'll know when we post a story. Lots of really cool stuff. Now, usually we talk to the American Legion on Wednesdays because I can only handle talking to Joe Plensler once a week. No I'm an acquired taste. Yeah, an acquired taste. But right now, we are very honored to have with us a very special guest, the first female commander of the American Legion, Denise Rohan. Denise, how are you doing today? I am doing great this morning. Thank you very much. 
Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Now, as I understand it, we talked about this a little on Wednesday, but there is a big event going on uh, next week with the American Legion. It's your, uh, you call it the Washington Conference, also colloquially known as Storm the Hill. So tell us a little bit about it. Well, the main reason veterans will be coming in, we actually start arriving tomorrow uh, just to get settled into our hotel and ready to go. But, but the veterans are here for exercising our voice as veterans to make sure veterans are taken care of. Now, when I come into Washington, D.C., you know, most people come here to talk about politics. I come to Washington to talk about people and particularly the people that the American Legion serves, which is our veterans and their families. Now, my theme this year is family first, and it really is all about taking care of one another and through our polit- political ways of, of speaking to our politicians. That didn't come out very good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We'll fix it in post. So, oh, worry. yeah, sure, I'm sure. Um, so by to- talking to our politicians, we make sure our veterans are taken care of. Now, when we joined the military, we became brothers and sisters. And as part of a family, we want to make sure our families are taken care of. And we come into Washington to make sure that our, our politicians understand that. As national commander, I get the opportunity to travel across the United States, and it's a thrill to meet so many veterans, and I'm learning so much about history, but I'm also listening to their concerns. And some of their concerns involve the fact about health care and the choice programs, and uh, a lot of veterans who live in rural areas are, are worried about the care they, they get. Um, they, they try to see doctors in the community when they can't get to a VA facility. Now, the American Legion is 100% behind saving the VA health care system. And we do not want to see it privatized. So we need to keep the healthcare system. It's worth it's worth saving. We go into VA hospitals annually. We have several teams that go across the nation visiting VA healthcare systems, making sure that everything's there that they need. But those veterans who live in rural communities do need a, a choice of being able to go to private doctors. So we're we're sort of on that line there. 100% VA care, but we're also making sure that our veterans are taken care of no matter where they live. Now, as part of all that taking care of one another, we need to make sure that when our, our military personnel leave the military, they have that sense of well-being and they have a sense of being part of a community. What better thing to do than join a service organization where you have folks who understand what you've been through. All of us in the American Legion have been through basic training. We have that in common at least. But as we get out, you know, people who are serving today, they have a buddy. They have their combat buddy who's with them when they got out of the military. Combat buddy and, and the veteran may not be going to the same place. You end up in a hometown. You end up with somebody who, you know, you, you have your family, but you don't have that military connection that you have anymore. Come on down to the American Legion. Find a new combat buddy. Now, in that process, you get connected to the community, and you also help serve our country as you continue. Because even though you take the uniform off, everybody wants to continue to serve this great nation like we were, well, we were taught to do that. Um, American Legion, we have so many things we're doing. And that family first theme involves the American Legion, our American Legion Auxiliary, the Sons of the American Legion, and one of our newer programs is the American Legion Riders, who are motorcycle riders who do amazing things. But together as a family, we really do amazing things. Well, that's great. That's a lot of really good information. Now, um, you mentioned family first is the overall, is the focus of this time. What are some of the things that you hope to bring before Congress as far as we want this fixed or we want this change or what are your, I'd say, like core issues? But we have that, the 100% we want the VA system to be intact the way it is and right. do not privatize the VA system. 
We want to make sure that choice program is there. We're also concerned about our caregivers, the, p- the folks who are taking care of our veterans who came home with some issues. Um, there's legislation in place that the post 9-11 caregivers have the, have the resources and the equipment that they need, but veterans didn't just start on September 11th. We've had veterans from the Vietnam War, the World War II, the Korean War. We have a lot of caregivers out there, family members, who are having to, to take on that extra support system. I'm not going to say it's a burden because we're taking care of our loved ones, but we need that extra support for all caregivers across the, across the nation. Now, as we also go on, we want to make sure that as a veteran leaves the military, their training converts over either to license or credentials. And um, to me, it's a no-brainer. It's like they're in the service, they're doing a job. It only makes sense they come into civilian life, they can do that same job. But that doesn't always happen. Right. And, like, for example, I, w- I was a tanker, and there's not much call for tankers in the civilian sector. No. And I know I know plenty of people who are infantry, and there aren't there isn't much call for infantrymen, so they end up doing something below their skill set, like security guard or something. And yeah. so you're trying to help them find not underemployment, but actual employment. Exactly right. And actually, right now, uh, on Friday at, at the... Uh, Hilton Hotel, there's a job fair going on, by, and the American Legion is sponsoring job fairs across the nation. But we're not only sponsoring the job fairs for the veterans, we sponsor job fairs for their spouses as well, because oh. we understand that when a military personnel is transferred from one base to another base, the spouse goes with them. So they need to have that same uh, job fairs. They need to have the ability to transfer their licenses from one state to another. Now, if I remember right, you were a truck driver. Yes. Well, your military skills... Part of that, uh, being a civilian truck driver. Uh, well, trucks and tanks are both very heavy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's there pretty go. much it. So, so it, 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 one of the things we're working with the governors associations with is we're saying, you know, if you're a truck driver in the military, you should be able to drive a truck in civilian life. And it's not that easy of a conversion. Now, as my understanding is, military trucks are a little bit different than civilian trucks. But still, if you're a med tech in the military should be able to be an EMT in the civilian world. So right. that's part of that. Um, suicide prevention, um, the, the suicide rate amongst our veterans is so high. And I believe by being part of a veteran service organization, finding that buddy that I was just mentioning earlier, finding a buddy who cares about you, coming into a veteran service organization and finding that connection and giving yourself that purpose, um, I believe that's part of the prevention of the suicide um, rates that we have right now and cutting down on that. Now we have homeless veterans across the nation. Again, the American Legion steps up with our homeless veterans programs. You know, the list of things that the American Legion is involved in is so amazing and I could probably be here for hours, actually days. Uh, Legion.org is our website. You can go there and learn all about our storming the hill this week, but as well as all the programs that we support um, it's Veterans Affairs. We also talk about national security, and a big part of our national security pillar is making sure that our military personnel have the resources that they need, and we're, we're glad that the budget talks are getting to the point that we don't have to worry about folks that are deployed over on the battlefield having to worry about getting paid next, you know, the next week or whatever. The military needs to make sure that they know that America is 100% behind them and that our government is 100% behind them get them the pay they need. But the other half of that family first is when we go to a deployment ceremony and we say, what can we do to make sure you have one less worry while you're on the battlefield? Our hero's answer is always the same. It's they tell us to take care of their families. They're worried about their families here at home. So again, the American Legion family steps up 
to make sure that our military families are taken care of. If there's a single need in the household that we can fill, we're there to fill it. We also have a temporary financial assistance program available that if there's a child in the household that and the veteran needs some help, the military person needs a little bit of assistance, they need a hand up, our temporary financial assistance program is there. And it's amazing it's amazing what I'm seeing across the nation, how the American Legion is stepping up. Uh, we've had uh, a military male spouse who, as his wife was getting off to be deployed, he knew he had everything covered, but it turned out that he didn't know how to run the washing machine. And when he, <laughs> him and his kids ran out of clothes and, and they were working and working, and it was like uh, they, he finally had to call somebody. And he called the American Legion, and the American Legion auxiliary went over, and they're like, oh, yeah, you just have to pull this one button here, and yeah. that'll, that'll take care of it the for American us. The American Legion Maytag guy. It's, it's just that simple, yeah. <laughs> Rain or shine. <laughs> Rain or shine, that's right. We're there. Yeah, we've got veterans. Who, I mean, what do you think about... Uh, well, it's wintertime, and I'm from Wisconsin, so we have really have wintertime there. But when you think of a military spouse who has some children, and we have a bad snowstorm, who's going to watch the kids while the snow's getting shoveled, or who's going to shovel while... So, again, we, we make to have those resources available to help families out, and that's a, a huge part of what we do on an each and every day basis. Well, yeah, and I understand that, and it's also very important. So... I want to ask you a question, and this may be a little bit off topic, but I feel it's something that we really should ask, if not just discuss very briefly, uh, the things going on with Secretary David Shulkin. And there's been a lot of, we talked to Joe Chinelli of AMVETS yesterday, and he talked about how there's this attempted coup trying to go on to unseat Secretary Shulkin, and how people are using this quote-unquote scandal against him. What is the Legion's... uh, official response to this to this whole issue well my official response is let's get down to taking care of the veterans that's what he's supposed to be doing and and why do we why do we keep concentrating on that one issue and and i always go back to my sunday school days when it's like really who who can throw that first stone who in this nation capital hasn't done something something they just haven't got caught so so let's get down to taking care of our veterans and Secretary Shulkin has, we have had so many successes this year. Now, what we're seeing as far as veterans and our politicians is it's a nonpartisan issue because our politicians care about our veterans. And I believe Secretary Shulkin is doing a fantastic job. We've gotten so many successes. Like I said, we had uh, the whistleblowers and the, um, the Accountability Act was passed, and, and he is holding his staff, the VA, the folks out there, accountable for their jobs, to do their jobs like they're supposed to do. But I, I'm going to come back to that one, though. Okay. But the um, Appeals Modernization Act, our veterans are starting to get their appeals like, like they're supposed to. And then you start, start talking about the health care system. Now, isn't it about time that the Department of Defense's health care system and the VA's health care system started talking to each other? Mm-hmm. How many billions of dollars have been spent trying to do that? Well, we're, we're there. We're right there. So that when a veteran gets, when, when our military personnel leaves the military, their military records transfer right over into the VA system. And now if a veteran needs to file an appeal, the military records are there. The, the health records are there from their military service. It's going to make it so much easier for someone to fi- file for an appeal, file their claims. It's also going to make it easier for their health care system to be trans- just transfer right over. He's working on that choice bill like I talked about before to make sure that our our VA hospitals are not privatized. They stay within the VA system, but also making sure the veterans who live in those rural areas are taken care of. 
Now, I want to go back to the VA hospitals and okay. accountability and, and that whole process. Because as I've traveled, I, I go and get to visit a lot of VA hospitals. As I'm traveling those VA hospitals, I am meeting some staff that are absolutely fantastic. They love our veterans. Our veterans love them. It's not everyone in the VA healthcare system that's, that's an issue here. It's just some of the systems people and the administrators, I'm going to say that. Well, right, as we've mentioned on the show, that when you ask the actual veterans themselves, most of them are quite happy with the care they receive at the VA. I mean, I know I use the VA healthcare system, and I have never had a problem with them. The only issue is sometimes is the bureaucratic red tape and getting to the yeah, care. Yeah, precisely. Right? But once you get to the care, it's actually very good. It, it is. It's excellent. And what I'm also finding at VA hospitals, unfortunately, they have a lot of vacancies. A lot of those vacancies are, are caused because of the bad press the VA is getting across the nation. And people are saying, do I really want to work for a hospital that all you hear about is bad news? Well, that bad news is coming because they are inspected constantly. And I challenge any private hospital to go under the scrutiny that that's a right. VA hospital has to mm-hmm. go under in order to, to get their jobs done. And, okay. and that's an important point, man, because, you know, in the private healthcare system, if someone's injured by a doctor or a nurse, right? I mean, what happens is typically there's a non, you know, a non-disclosure agreement and a payout and you never hear about it. Whereas the VA being the federal government, you know, I mean, is transparent. You actually find out about all that stuff. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I think the commander is absolutely right. Like if, if, if we keep on projecting like this nuclear pinata image of the PA or of the VA, is that going to scare veterans away from seeking care there? And if it's scaring veterans away from seeking care, especially mental health care, is that contributing to the suicide problem? You know, it's something to think about. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry, ma'am. It, it's, it's, it all comes together. Okay. And again, that family first thing comes in. Now, I also want to mention the, the magazine article, the American Legion magazine for the, Mar- the March issue is coming out. And the cover story on that is about Fort McCollin, Alabama, and the toxic waste issues that's going on there. Uh, it's an issue that I hear about a lot because I am a Fort McCollin uh, veteran. I was there. Uh, I remember every single morning when I woke up and I went outside, it was basic training, and I was like, man, that's the strangest smell I have ever smelled in my life. It was coming from the dew and the grass. Wow. And I've never smelt that that scent ever before, and I've never smelt it off of Fort McCollin, Alabama. It's the chemicals from a factory that was down the road. Now, the city, the city of Anniston got bought out pretty much, millions of dollars to the citizens of that of that city, but the the folks that were on base at Fort McCullen, Alabama, have not been able to file any VA claims because they haven't proven anything. Wow. Um, now it wasn't just the the Army American or the Women's Army Corps that was being trained there. We have our chemical schools and our military police were there also. And I have met a lot of Fort McCullen veterans who have been trying to file claims, and they're not able to to get them through because nothing's been proven yet. Uh, so there's an article in the March magazine. Now, thing is, in order to get a copy of that March magazine, you need to be a member of the American Legion. <laughs> so uh, it I, all kind of weaves know, together. All you weaves know? together. So we invite, uh, of course, I I invite anyone to, to, who's an eligible war era veteran to join the American Legion. Um, funny, there's a story about me um, when I went to join the American Legion. Uh, I identified myself as eligible, and the recruiter that was there took my husband. He He's also a veteran, and, and they he joined the Legion, and they told me that women don't join the Legion. They join the Auxiliary, and, and um, fortunately, 
I didn't just give up on the organization. I just found another American Legion post to join. And that original post has my picture up now. And it says, you know, <laughs> she could have been a member here. <laughs> and women are veterans, too. Uh, don't forget that. And, and we are. Um, the American Legion, since 1919, has been all-inclusive. It didn't matter what your race or your gender was. We served as veterans, and we took care of one another as veterans. And our founders in 1919 understood that. that and it's amazing things what the men from World War I, the men and women in World War I, did for this country. Now, women could vote for national commander of the American Legion before they could legally vote for president of the United States. Oh, so wow. that's amazing. Yeah, and, that's really cool. And I'm going to tell you, when I was in school, I hated history. I have learned so much about history in this position and the <laughs> veterans that I've met. And I encourage all veterans, first, if for some reason you were turned down by the American Legion, go back or find another Legion post because, like I said, we do amazing things across this nation. But it, it's just share your stories. Every single one of us wrote a amazing page in history no matter how small you think that page is it could just trigger enough to get some school kid to read the rest of the story and understand what our veterans have been through now the youth in this nation as in the programs that we have for our kids and our oratorical scholarship programs our boys states girl states we we have so many programs for kids and when they get to sit down and spend time with veterans and hear the stories they understand they understand that every single veteran put their lives on hold for this nation to give them the opportunity to have their dreams come true. Now, all we ask for from the American Legion is to, to say, hey, Congress, it's time for you to make our dreams come true. It's time for you to take care of us. We put our lives on hold for this nation. We fought for it. Just give us, give us what we deserve. Give us our, our benefits. So. It is, like I say, I always go back to a family because the American Legion is really taking care of the whole nation's families because we have children and youth programs, those Americanism programs, national security pillar. We have our Veterans Affairs and Rehabilitation, taking care of one another, getting us the benefits we deserve, the ones we earned. That's what it's all about, and that's what we're here about this week is taking care of one another. Jake, I was, I was wondering, um, the commander just visited Puerto Rico and the American Virgin oh, Islands. Right. And I think right. yeah. that's probably a really interesting thing because she just came back from there and, and you know, maybe let's talk about like what she saw. Right, because as, as people, sadly, in our culture, once the news cycle changes, shifts tone. We forget. People forget, forget. about this kind of stuff. And people don't realize that a lot of Puerto Ricans still don't have power or clean water. So I'm wondering, what did you see down there? What, did, From your viewpoint, what was the status of things down there? So I was there in, in January, and I was I was lucky enough to get to, to talk to a FEMA worker who I knew, who's an American Legion member, of course. Um, so he was down there from... Massachusetts, I think it was. He was, um, but anyway, he was down there. He works on generators. He was down there right after, like a week after the hurricanes hit, um, and he was back again in January. And he said, "You'd be amazed at the greenery." So imagine all of the branches on all the trees being blown off, so there was no green anymore in a lush tropical area. So it was just starting to get greened up. And and I looked like in the distance, you look at a house, and it was like, man, those are beautiful homes. But when you look close and you realize there's no windows and that that blue roof is really a tarp, um, it, it, that's really sad. Now, we were um, all set to take in some water and supplies to some folks who lived up in the, in the mountains and rural areas. And it started raining and we weren't able to go because the rains were, the, the mudslides were starting to wash out the roads. And we were at um, 
the VA clinic in Ponce, and they had just started getting their power back and being able to get back on online with with their things. But we were also in, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation because I don't do Spanish, Arecibo, which is, a, there's a VA clinic there, or there was a VA clinic there. Oh, oh It was wow. completely destroyed. And what they have is field tents set up in the parking lot of a stadium. Now, there's a lot of field tents out there, but the only plumbing is porta potties that are out there. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a nice temporary situation. The first thing I thought of when I saw those field tents was, post-traumatic stress and what is that going to do to a veteran who needs to come in for treatment and he's being put into a field hospital what is that going to do with their minds Mm. um the doctors that shared with me was the fact that that um veterans are survivors and they're gonna they're gonna do what they need to do to get their job done but eventually they're gonna sit down and they're gonna say hey this isn't normal and that that's gonna snap and that hey this isn't normal i don't think that's happened yet so I'm really concerned about the next time that veteran has to go back to that field hospital. And we're talking, they're talking a years before they'll be able to be in an actual building. Wow. So we're talking a field hospital where the doctors, now how many doctors are going to spend the next couple of years with the only wash facilities is the fact that they have to go to a porta potty. I know I wouldn't be wanting to work in those conditions. No, especially if as a physician or a nurse. And, yeah, and people yeah. don't re- people. Don't, what you're talking about with the P- with the PTS situation is that in Iraq, especially in Iraq and Afghanistan, a lot of times you live in what we call tent city, sure, which yeah. is just nothing but rows of tents. And so I can Im- I can imagine how that might send someone's mind spiraling back towards the conflict. And right. it's I I never thought about that, but that's really scary. It, I, I think it is. Um, we also had a clinic in, um, I was in St. Thomas, and the doctor there at their clinic um, was sharing that they were sharing nurses and phlebotomists from the hospital. As soon as hurricanes hit, a lot of the nurses, especially the phlebotomists, left the island and went back to Florida. Now, that means that if, if somebody on St. Thomas needs a blood test, they either need to fly somebody in to do that blood test, or they need to fly that veteran over to Puerto Rico and there's no real boat shuttle that will do that. The other half of that is, and, and this is really a continuing problem, the other half of that is the veterans who live on St. Thomas and St. John's, their hospital is in Puerto Rico. Now, if a veteran from one of those islands is hospitalized, it makes it impossible for the family to go and, and spend time with, with their loved ones over there as well. And there, there isn't a facility, there's not a place for the families to stay right now. Um, it's it's a mess. It really is a mess. Mm. Uh, I I imagine in our hearts and minds go out to those veterans and everyone in Puerto Rico. Now we're running short on time, so I want to know for the Storm the Hill uh, Washington Conference. When does it kick off? Where do people need to be? Uh, it kicks off for veteran for the American Legion members. We were have we have a lot of meetings on Monday. On Tuesday morning, we have a, a commanders call, which will be basically we will have guests. Um, the Secretary of Veterans Affairs will be there. A couple of our legislators will be there. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt the Fourth, who is uh, our honorary chairman for our Centennial Committee, uh, he will be there as well. He's uh, the grandson of one of our founders, Teddy Roosevelt Jr. So that'll be interesting for that commander's call. But then uh, Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock, I will be on the Hill testifying on behalf of our veterans. And that'll be in Senate Dirksen G50 if anyone wants to yeah. uh, tune in. 
Okay, Denise Rohan, thank you so much for appearing on the show. This has been the morning briefing for uh, today, and we'll see you next week. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.